You can go. We're continuing our sermon series through the lectionary this summer, and today I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. I invite you to listen to that as I read it, but before I do, please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we do love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Every church I've been a part of has a few characters among its membership. Even this church. But especially my home church, my, my childhood church where I grew up. And one of those characters that I was very fond of was a man named the Reverend Denny Hill. Reverend Hill had been a pastor for churches all over South Carolina, but when he retired, he came back to Greer, lived in Greer, and became a, a pastor emeritus of our church. Reverend Hill looked like he could have come in off of the streets of Mayberry. He had that kind of effect on people. Just such a warm heart. A tender person who always had a quick wit and a, a corny joke to tell you. He was always come up, coming up to me saying, don't take any wooden nickels, son, and things like that. But he was also a kind person, and he, was the, he told everybody he was the self-appointed head of the hug committee at our church. He said anybody who ever wanted or needed a hug, they needed only ask him, and he would provide. He was a kind and gentle soul, but he was more than that. In fact, like many ministers who retire, he never really stopped working. He continued to work at our church, sometimes teaching Sunday school classes, sometimes going and visiting people at the hospital, sometimes even preaching on Sunday mornings, especially at a time when we were in an interim and needed someone to fill our pulpit. He filled our pulpit for several weeks until our new minister arrived. He was much beloved by our congregation. And so when he passed away, as you might imagine, the sanctuary was full for his funeral. 
It was busting at the gut. Not only members of our church, but members of the other churches where he had served. Our new minister at the time did a wonderful job with the eulogy. He, he read the, the passages that his family had chosen, the 23rd Psalm and Romans 8, things that we traditionally read at funerals. But then he chose to read one more passage, one that I don't often hear at funerals. He read the parable of the passage of the talents. You remember that passage, that parable that Jesus told. Uh, the landover goes and gives five talents to to one servant, and then he gives three talents to another, and one talent to another, and he says, when I come back, I'm going to find out what you did with these talents. And when he comes back, the person who was given five talents had produced five more. The person who was given three had produced three more, and the person who was given one buried his talent in the ground. You remember that parable. Well, when he read the parable at Reverend Denny Hill's funeral, he stopped after reading about the first servant person was given five talents and produced five more. He closed the Bible and the minister said, this is the legacy of Reverend Denny Hill. He was not rich in much, but he was rich toward God. Now I've done a lot of funerals in the time that I've been a minister, but over the years I've continued to think back to that one, wondering about the legacy that all of us might leave behind when our day comes and someone writes an obituary about us. I have to tell you, as a 43-year-old man, I don't think about that very often. Maybe you don't think about that very often, too. But every now and then, I do think about that funeral and wonder, what will be said about me when I'm gone? What will people remember about me? What will be the legacy that I will pass on when my time comes and I am gone? And one of the passages that always makes me think about that legacy is the passage that I just read to you this morning, this second parable from the Gospel of Luke. It's a story, uh, honestly, that starts with a family, a family whose father has passed away, maybe the mother as well. And so the two children have inherited all of the possessions of the father. But for some reason, there is some argument, some quarrel between the two brothers about who should inherit what. Probably because of the custom of that time, the older brother really inherited everything. And it was probably the younger brother who was wondering why he didn't get anything as well. It was the, the older brother's choice of what he might receive or what he might not receive. And so the younger brother going to Jesus thinking this was an unjust, unfair situation that Jesus would surely take his side and stand up for him. He goes to Jesus and asks Jesus to make his brother divide that inheritance, that legacy with him. But Jesus doesn't see it as a justice issue. He sees it as an issue of greed. And he reminds this young man that those things of this world that we value so much, God really doesn't value as much as we do. Those things in this life that give us status, that give us hope, that give us security, those things matter very little in the mind of God. And that we would do better not to try to be rich in the things of this world, but to be rich toward God. In short, he said, instead of worrying about the legacy and the things that your parents have shared with you, you should be worrying about the legacy and the things that you will share with others. 
It's hard to think about that sometimes. I know as a disciple that I want people to think well of me. I want people to write wonderful obituaries about me, about how I shared so much with this church, shared so much with this world, how people were moved by what a wonderful minister I am. But the truth of the matter is, even though I want to be rich in God, rich towards God, quite often I fall into the same trap that everybody else does. That my real status in life is based on all of those things I have and all of those things I think I earn and all of those trophies that I might have that my name is etched upon of the power and the wealth that I can obtain in the life that I am given. Not realizing that at any moment in time my life may be taken away. At any moment in time all of that wealth and all of that power that I have accumulated for myself It may mean nothing, as Jesus says, or as we might say, because you can't take it with you. No, Jesus says it is far better for us to be rich towards God. Not to be rich in the things that we think give our lives meaning and purpose now, but to be rich in the things that God tells us gives our lives meaning and purpose. Not just how much money we have and how much power we have. Not just how many trophies we have on our our bookcase. But how we spend our money. How we spend our time. How we spend our power that we have somehow obtained. Reminds me of a little story that Tim Madigan wrote in one of my favorite books. The book is called I'm Proud of You. And it's a story about his relationship with Mr. Rogers. He got to go to Mr. Rogers' office at WQED in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he walked into his office, and to his surprise, Mr. Rogers' office was an absolute mess. Papers everywhere. There were scripts from different episodes. There were notes and letters that he'd received from fans he was trying to send back and respond to. There were other pictures that he had taken of people who had come and visited the the land of of make-believe. All these kind of things all over his office. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it, Trinity? Somebody else around here has a pretty messy office. But Tim Madigan noticed as he saw all the things all over the office, he noticed right in the corner there was a little tiny cabinet that was basically covered up with all these papers, and inside were several daytime Emmy Awards that Fred Rogers had received throughout his career. More than one, he didn't say in the book how many there were, but several. And he looked at that, and all he could do was ask Fred. He was like, look at these awards. How many have you won? When was the first time that you won one? Shouldn't these be on display? These are incredible. How many of these have you received? And through all these questions, Fred Rogers just sat there in silence. And finally, when he finished with these questions, he looked at that cabinet and said, I don't know what to say about those things, but if it's the things outside you that nourish you, then you can have one. If it's the things outside us that nourish us, then I dare say we're not rich towards God. If we think it's the things outside us that give our lives meaning, that give our lives purpose, if it's the things outside us that make us want to accumulate more, and the more we have is the more meaning we have. Well, according to our parable this morning, Jesus says we're missing the mark. 
We need to think long and hard about the ways that we should truly spend that time and that money and that energy. Not in all of those things that will wear out one day, but in those things that are eternal. Well, the problem is, it's hard to find things in this world that are eternal. We like to think each of us are eternal, but the truth of the matter is, is we all wear out one day. My eyesight's starting to go. I can't really hear anymore out of this one ear. I like to think I'm only 43, but we like to think this church building is a wonderful, beautiful place, and it is, but it is constantly wearing out. We think of our homes and our possessions as things that we have to have, but guess what? They are constantly rusting. They are constantly deteriorating. They are constantly wearing out. In truth, if you scour the entire world, if you scour the entire scripture, I dare say there may be only one thing that lasts forever. Only one thing that remains It's mentioned all throughout Scripture in different ways, but probably, maybe the the most poignantly or the most dramatically in Psalm 136. I'm going to read it to you and see if you can pick it out. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. Who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. Who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. Who spread out the earth on the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. Who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. For the sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. And the moon and the stars to rule the night for his steadfast love endures forever. For 26 verses, Psalm 136 reminds us that there is only one thing that rails and remains forever. God's steadfast love. And if we care about the meaning and purpose of our life, if we care about what we are leaving behind when we are gone, then we might do well to take those things that are limited and invest them in things that lasts forever. We might do well to take those things that will wear out one day and invest them in something that can never be worn out. So how do we do that? Well, we do that by sharing God's steadfast love. That when people come to our back door and they are homeless and they need a place to stay at night, we show them hospitality and care by finding a place for them to stay so that they know God's love has not abandoned them. Or when children come to our preschool and they can't afford the tuition, we find ways to help them receive that same school that everybody else deserves so that they can know along with their ABCs and 123s that God loves them as well. Or when someone comes on a Saturday morning because they don't have enough food to eat and they can't feed their family, that we can put a bag in the back of their car and remind them that you won't go hungry Because God's steadfast love endures. That'd be a great obituary, in fact. I've thought about that often. With the words 
etched on my tombstone shouldn't be all the wonderful things that I've done. There'd be too many to put on a tombstone after all. No, but it should just be the simple words. God's steadfast love endures forever. Maybe more eloquently the way Dr. Martin Luther King said it when he knew he was soon going to die. In a speech he said these words, If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention on that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that Martin Luther King tried to love somebody. I want you to be able to say on that day that I tried to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say on that day that I tried to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I tried in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say on that day that I tried to love and serve humanity. For I, if I can help somebody as I pass along, if I could cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can, if I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a word, world once wrought, I can spread the message as the master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Our temptation is to build those big barns. But what if? What if we took those things that God had given us and shared the love of God with others? What if we took those things that God had given us and let other people know that God's steadfast love endures even when I do not? That'd be a good obituary, a good little eulogy for all of us. I want to finish with one more parable, one that I made up myself. But as the story goes, there was a church, and God came to the church and gave them five talents and said, use these talents well. The church thought for about it for a minute and said, we should probably build some big buildings so that we can keep these talents safe. But before they could start building Somebody came to the back door and said, I'm hungry. And so the church gave them talent so that they could eat. Another person came to the door. They were a refugee. They were torn away from their country and they were feeling lost and alone. The church gave them a talent so that they could know they have a safe place to call home right here. A child came to the church, dropped off at the front door by their family who did not believe in God at all, but just needed a few hours of peace on a Sunday morning. And so church gave that child a talent too so that that child knew they had a safe place to come where they were cared for and loved. Another child came just wanting a good education but couldn't afford it and so the church gave that child a talent too. Finally all five of the talents were given away. God came back to the church and saw them empty handed. God knew better. Went to the first woman and said, who was it? Tell me about that church that Help to feed you. The woman said, I don't remember the name of the church, but I remember God's steadfast love endures forever. Went to the refugee and said, can you tell me about the, the church who gave you a home? They said, I don't remember them, but I remember God's steadfast love endures. 
went to the two children, one of whom was now a member of the city commission, and said, can you tell me about the, the church that educated you and taught you you were a child of God? I can't remember their name. But I remember God's steadfast love endures. God went back to the church, seeing their empty hands, and said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are rich towards God. May that be so for us.